Well, let's pray. Lord, be with us. We thank you that you are a faithful God who has given us promises. And as you have said, you're a God who will not lie. Have you not said it? Have you not spoken? And will, will you not make it good? As we approach your word this evening, open it up that we may behold wondrous things out of it and teach us by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in John 15, verses uh, 18 through the end of the chapter. Remember, Jesus has been talking about the necessity of bearing fruit. And by bearing fruit, we prove to be his disciples. And the foremost of that fruit, Jesus says, is love. And that when we go out and he sends us out as witnesses that we're going to see in the world to bear fruit. And that, that fruit is, well, namely that love to love one another as he had loved them. We loved we, sacrificially. We, we saw last week what that meant, to love one another sacrificially like Jesus loved us. Well, in, <clears throat> again, this is his farewell address because it's his arrest and crucifixion is going is imminent within a day away and we see that Jesus is exhorting them to go out and to be witnesses in the world and he he uh, is telling them what they can expect when they go out and be witnesses well here's what they can expect take a look at verse 18 here's what they can expect to find If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love you, would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they've persecuted me, they will persecute you. And if they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus says, expect to be hated. Why? Because of me. And I'm the master and you're, you're the servants. If they persecuted me, you think you're going to get off any, any differently? No. You can expect to get a similar treatment that I have gotten. Now remember when Jesus, um, the first part, the first chapter of John says he came to his own and his own received him not. He, he came as the Messiah to the Jewish nation and they didn't receive him. And so his whole three year ministry was a ministry of conflict with the, lead, the leading uh, Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin. And <clears throat> he says, expect to be persecuted. He says, because you're not of the world. Notice, notice what he said there. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, now you're going to be hated. Well, you think, Why? Just think about this. Jesus 
was no doubt the, the most loving person that's ever walked this earth, right? Perfect. Christians are known as a loving people. Historically, it is Christians that come to the rescue of others who have shown kindness. Why should we be treated that way? Well, because Jesus was treated that way. And why was Jesus treated that way? Well, we have a great adversary, don't we? We have an adversary, the devil, Satan, who hates us. Hated Jesus. Satan hates all those that belong to the world. And in fact, when he, Jesus said to the disciples, you're not of the world. If you were, the world would love you. Have you, have you ever wondered why uh, those who have a certain worldview don't get into the kind of trouble? That's not always true. But it's not quite the same as those who openly profess the faith. They seem to just draw hostility because we're Christians. Why? Because, well, there's someone out there that hates us. It's the devil. In fact, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, it refers to the God of this world. Satan is the God of this world. In fact, uh, he is also referred to as the ruler of this world. If you, all you have to do is keep your hand right there. Just turn back to John 14, look at verse 30, and you're going to see right there it says, I, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Well, how was the ruler of the world coming? And he refers to him as a he. Do you remember when um, Judas came, betrayed him with the kiss, and Jesus says, the, uh, the, the hour of darkness has been given over to you. And so what we see here, Satan is... He is diabolical. He is, he is the ruler of this world. Now we got to understand, uh, here's another thing. Just turn over to Ephesians 2 for a moment. Turn over to Ephesians 2 and look at verses 1 and 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This spirit, the devil, is working in the sons of disobedience. And they walk how? According to the course of this world. And just turn over to Ephesians 6 and look at verse 12, that famous section of the necessity of putting on the, the whole armor of God. Look what Ephesians six twelve says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we, what we see here is we got, well, first of all, we got to define how the Bible uses the term world. Because Jesus says the devil is the God of this world. He is the ruler of this world. Well, I thought Psalm 24 says the world belongs to the Lord and all that there is thereof. Well, that is true. They both are true. Well, how can they both be true? Well, it's how the Bible uses the word world. For example, you know, in the New Testament, it's, it's used three or four different times, differently, depending on the context. Uh, for example, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What does the world mean there? He, he loved humanity. He loved, uh, as Revelations 5 says, he has his people in every uh, tribe and tongue and nation uh, on the face of the earth. So the world there means hu- the mass of humanity. Well, if we were to turn over, turn over to 1 John 2, you'll see how the word world is used. Okay. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Here's the admonition. Do not love the world. Wait a minute, I thought God says he loved the world. (laughs) We're going to see how he's using it different here. Nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Right there, Obviously, the word world is used in a negative sense to consist of this whole system of thought that is in rebellion against God, that encompasses sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride, all those fruit of the flesh, like Galatians talks about. That's a world's thinking. Look at 1 John 5. Look at verse uh, 1 John 5, 18 and 19. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you see the, see the similarity? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. That God of the world that's blinded the minds of the unbeliever. That ruler of the world that's in opposition to everything that is true about Christ and his disciples. Satan is the God of this world. He is the God of that world system that hates God. And Satan hates Jesus, and because you and I belong to Jesus, he will hate us and does hate us and does 
work in people's lives to cause problems for you and, and me because we're Christians. And the sooner that you and I realize this, the better off we're going to be. We've got to realize that we are in a spiritual war, whether we like it or not. And if we're, if we're in that spiritual war, we better have the armor of God on. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. You and I better put that armor of God on because we're in a warfare. Well, I don't want to be in that war. What does it matter if you and I want to be in that war? We're in that war by the fact when you called upon the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you enlisted in the army of Jesus and by being in his army, Satan says, I'll do everything I can to ruin you. Now, Satan cannot get at our soul. The Bible makes that very clear. But he sure can cause us a lot of, a lot of grief. Remember, Paul, when he was going to the Thessalonians, says, I would have gotten there to you sooner, and yet Satan thwarted me. I thought that's an interesting thing. Paul... <laughs> All the trouble that Paul encountered was inspired by the devil. And again, it, it doesn't matter if, if we say, well, I didn't sign up for this. Well, <laughs> you may not have consciously, but you are in that war and just accept it. I remember um, John Lofton was a, some of you might have known John Lofton, he was a reporter for the Washington Times. He was well, I mean, he, he was on some of the big talk shows. He was a, a very conservative, but he was a great follower of Rush Dooney and all that. And one time John Lofton was speaking at Bob Jones University. You know, Bob Jones, it's commitment to Christ. And in the question and answer, a young college girl uh, spoke up and says, Mr. Lofton, what? Uh, why aren't we accepted on this? Uh, why isn't this our Christian worldview accepted? And Lofton looked at her and says, my dear, it's because they hate your guts and wish you were dead, was his response. And that's true. The world hates us because it, it hates Jesus. And Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out as witnesses in the world. You might as well get used to it. But here's the thing. Now, we can be grieved over the fact that we are hated because of Jesus, but let this comfort us. Matthew 5, 12, where Jesus says, when we're pre uh, persecuted, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, Jesus said, because your great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were who were before you. If if we get uh, a lot of hassle because of our Christian testimony, consider yourself in good company. Consider yourself in the best company. And Jesus says, "I don't know what that reward will be. It doesn't matter." But Jesus says it's going to be a great reward for that. So. Okay, <laughs> that's wonderful. It helps us get through it. It may, not, it may be tough, but when we realize 
this is what we were to be expect to happen to us. And Jesus says, uh, you're, you're special if you're treated with such disgrace because I was treated this way. So the promise is, <clears throat> Jesus says, if they have kept my word, they're going to keep yours also. In other words, even in the midst of us going out and the world hating us, we're going to see success. There's going to be conversions. And we should be thrilled with that. And <clears throat> he says, you're going to find those whom God is going to work in their life who will respond to the gospel message. And therefore, uh, you're going to see some success even in the midst of such uh, persecution that you'll, you are going to find. You know, First Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy in Second uh, Timothy 3, he says, Yea, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. Not maybe, shall suffer persecution. And he says, uh, if, they've, if they kept my word, they're going to keep yours. If they rejected my word, they're going to reject your word. It's going to go both ways. So <clears throat> on one level, it seems odd that Christianity, which has done more good than any other religion, bar none on the face of the earth, but we're still hated because this world is under the influence of the great adversary. And that's why we're going to be hated. You know, one of the names given to Satan is the word diabolos, where we derive, you tell me what English word we, is derived from diabolos. There you go. That's where we get that's where we get the word diabolical. And <clears throat> Satan is called diabolos because if you look up the references where the word diabolos is used with reference to him, well, diabolos is the tempter. He was the one in the Garden of Eden that tempted Eve. Uh, Diabolos is said to be, in Scripture, the slanderer. Diabolos is said to be, by Jesus, the liar. Diabolos, Jesus says, is the murderer. So he's the tempter. He's the slanderer. He's the liar. He's the murderer. He's a bad guy. He's the, the epitome of evil. And he hates you. And he's the spirit that controls the world system. And when we run into trouble, it's because Satan is the energizing force. He's the energizing force behind all the war, the wars that this world has ever seen. He's behind it. Jesus said in John 8, 47, he who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you're not of God. So, 
In John uh, 15, verse 22, Jesus says here, turning back to John 15, he says, uh, if I did not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. They would have no sin. But now that they, they have no excuse for their sin. Now Jesus says, the reason the Jews had such great sin is because I came and spoke to them. He says, the fact that I spoke to them means they have no excuse for not believing me. But because I did speak to them, they are without excuse. In other words, they should have believed Jesus. They should have accepted him as the Messiah. Remember, uh, <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, this is what Jesus said. He says, I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. So when Jesus went out and preached, two things would happen. You're going to either are you going to believe him or you're not. If you believed him, then you'd be justified. If you didn't, you'd be condemned. It's the exact thing when he sent the disciples out to preach. Those who don't receive your word have rejected not you, they've rejected me. And if they reject your word, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go out, shake the dust off your feet. And that was a sign of contempt upon a people to do that. He said, just shake the dust off your feet. Jesus said, I say unto you, Sodom and Gomorrah shall be treated more favorably on the day of judgment than you. Now, what do you mean more favorably? They are in hell. But you know, Jesus said in Luke 12, 47 and 48, there are some who are beaten with more stripes than others. I don't know what it is. Just as there, there are uh, greater rewards in heaven, there are greater degrees of punishment in hell, according to Luke 12, 47, 48, according to Jesus. So Jesus says, when you go and talk to people, it's, it's a moment of crisis. It really is. And if that person doesn't receive your word and they die on the day of judgment, it will be brought up. You know, one day, one of you came up into the park and talked to us about Jesus. And you didn't do anything with it. Oh, I was there. I, I came and spoke to you through them. And, and your words of refusal will condemn you on that day. And so what we see here, Jesus says, well, uh, not only do you have no excuse for not believing my words, there's another reason he says he gives 
why they are without excuse. Look at verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Now, he says, if you have seen my works and you don't believe them, you're without excuse. Just like when I spoke to you and you didn't believe it, you're without excuse. Now, what did Jesus do? It's the whole purpose of the book of John, remember? John, and I've kept mentioning that to us to keep in mind the theme of John, that there are many signs that Jesus did, not all of which are written in the book for the purpose of demonstrating that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you should have eternal life. Jesus gave those signs, those miracles of changing the uh, miraculously uh, creating more food out of the five fish and two loaves, and... uh, by raising people from the dead, by uh, the lame getting their walking. All these were miraculous signs. Intended for what? Believe in me. Remember, we looked at those passages as we went through them. And Jesus, there's always preaching going along with it. I did it so that you will believe that I am he. That's why I'm doing it. Believe I'm the Messiah. And by believing in me, you do it. So if In in John 10, by the way, Jesus said to those Jews who didn't believe him, he says, look, if you don't believe my words, believe the works that I do. At least believe the works. Let that be the reason. But that, that didn't even help either, did it? If you look over, I want to remind you, just turn back to John 11. This is right after he uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. Look at John 11, 45 through 48. Now, uh, this is immediately after Lazarus comes walking out of that tomb after being four days in, in that tomb. Many, therefore, verse 45... Many, therefore, the Jews who come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. All right, they did what they were supposed to do. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. I I want to just reiterate what I did when I went over this section. They acknowledged that he was doing miraculous signs. They couldn't deny it. He is performing many signs. What are we going to do about it? They couldn't let it go on. They had to do something. And what they decided to do was not believe in him, but kill him. They knew better. Jesus says, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works. Well, they didn't believe the works, even though they admitted it was a miraculous work. 
It didn't affect them spiritually at all. <clears throat> so Jesus says, what are we here to expect when we go out to witness for him? Well, for one thing, if we know we have a great adversary, the devil, who hates us with a passion, which he does, who opposes us at every chance he can get, which he does. You know, in Martin Luther's um, hymn, that great hymn that we sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Remember one of the stanzas says, we are no match for Satan on his level. That's why we need to, it says, unless he who is on our side, meaning Jesus is with us, we're no match up against Satan, which we are. And what this means is, <clears throat> Jesus says in verse 26, I'm gonna, he repeats what he said in, in John 14. I'm gonna send you a helper. Look what he says in John 15, 26. When the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. You know, Jesus says, I'm sending you out to the world to be my witness. Remember in John 14, he says, I'm, going, I'm leaving you from this world. Lord, don't leave us. No, I'm leaving you. It's better that I go away. It's better. But I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you the helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Who Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of of truth. And when Jesus uh, sent his disciples out earlier in his ministry, well, you probably ought to turn to this passage because it's really good. Turn to Luke 12. Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you, Jesus is speaking here, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You may recall in the book of Acts when Paul went to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey and brought Timothy into the uh, temple that caused no small stir to the Jews says, we're going to kill Paul for defiling the temple. And remember, they were going to, and then there, it was such an uproar, the Roman soldiers intervened to, to get some peace, and they arrested Paul, 
And he finds himself before King Agrippa and Felix bearing testimony of what God did in his life to convert him. So at that hour, the Holy Spirit was with the apostle, wasn't it? Telling him what to do. Now, you and I may not have uh, that same relationship maybe that uh, Paul had in the apostolic age. But remember, what is the Spirit? He is the Spirit of truth. And what is truth? We're going to see when we get to John 17, Jesus says to the Father when he's praying, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So now, post-apostolic age, when you and I go out, we have the Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit is going to empower us. The Holy Spirit will encourage us. The Holy Spirit will sustain us when we get persecuted by the world for being, you stupid Christians, you're always causing trouble. you're on board with this abortion issue and you want to save all this, why don't you just just accept the status quo? But no, you cause trouble. And then they'll cause grief to us. And wherever we go, they, they will assault us. Well, let me just conclude with this. In, in the book of Acts, the first chapter, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, here's what he, here's what he told his disciples. Acts 1, verse 8. And this actually is the outline of the whole book of Acts. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. You're going to go out, and the whole world is going to receive your witness. And I will be with you to the end of the world in the Great Commission. And I'm with you, how? Because the Spirit of Christ, whom I sent, the Father sent, is with you. And he will empower you. He will give you the words to say. He will give you the courage to say, to bear witness. While you're being persecuted. While you're being persecuted. So that's what we were to expect. So don't be surprised. And that's why Peter can say in 1 Peter Chapter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Note that, as though some strange thing. No, it was. You know what kind of fiery trial Peter was referring to? Nero, who is in Revelation the beast, he is 666. He is that man. He used Christians as torches in his garden at night. 
Yeah. But Paul says, you know what? In Philippians, he says, the gospel has even gotten into the praetorian guard. That was the guard that guarded Caesar. The gospel has gotten to the household of Nero himself. Though they will pay a great price, but they were faithful witnesses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise of your spirit being with us to the end. And give us that courage. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen.